Due to the graphic nature of these women's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of drug use, sex, bullying, and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Friendship and Jealousy You'd think they wouldn't be able to coexist, but ask any teenage girl and she'll tell you it's an all-too-familiar pairing. Throw a romantic partner into the mix and things can get toxic fast. That's exactly what happened for a trio of teenage girls in 1985, when two of them decided their close friend was just a little too pretty and a little too popular, they found themselves doing the unthinkable. But the victim never saw it coming. She was blinded by friendship. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes, but what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll meet Karen Severson and Laura Doyle, two teenage girls who both admired and resented their best friend, Missy Avila. Karen and Laura's jealousy eventually caused them to take drastic and violent measures. Next week, we'll learn how Karen and Laura got away with their crime for three years, mostly by casting suspicion on other people. But it all came to an end when a surprise witness spoke up, leading to the women's sensational arrest. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But... Only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. 
On October 20, 1967, Paula and Loyal Severson brought home their three-day-old adopted daughter. They named her Karen. She was the Severson's only child, and she was absolutely doted upon. Whatever Karen wanted, she got, if it was within her parents' means. Except it's likely that what Karen really wanted was to be wanted from the beginning. When she learned that she was adopted, she may have felt she'd been rejected by her biological mother, and no amount of attention or love from her adopted parents could change that. So Karen grew up always feeling that something was missing. By the time Karen was eight years old, the Seversons bought a new house. It was still in Arlita, the Los Angeles suburb where they lived, just in a different neighborhood. But things were about to improve for Karen. Only a few blocks away lived the girl who would become her best friend. She introduced herself as Missy Avila. She was cute, friendly, and more importantly, she was popular. While chatting, the two discovered they would be in the same class. On their first day of meeting, they were already on their way to becoming best friends. That afternoon, they headed to the Avila's house, where Missy introduced Karen to her mom, Irene. Irene was used to Missy making new friends and bringing them home, and greeted Karen warmly. As the girls settled into the living room, Irene stepped into the kitchen to prepare some snacks. When she returned, she caught the tail end of the girls' conversation. Karen was explaining that she had two sets of parents and siblings, which she declared was much better than Missy's one set. Irene nearly laughed. She thought it was such an odd thing to brag about, being the child of divorced and remarried parents, but she knew how competitive young girls could be over just about anything, so she didn't think much about it. That was until she met Karen's mom. When she found out that the Seversons weren't divorced, Irene was taken aback. She thought it was a weird thing to lie about and told Paula so, but Paula explained that Karen was unhappy with being an only child and just had an overactive imagination. She must have just been pretending. Irene accepted that answer and thought nothing more of it. After all, Karen was only eight. But even at that young age, Karen had already formed an ambivalent relationship with the truth. And as she grew up, her trivial, made-up stories evolved into overt lies, which she could use to manipulate others. Before we continue with Karen's psychology, I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to researcher Ben Taylor, Machiavellianism is a personality trait involving the use of manipulativeness and deceit to achieve one's goals. It's closely related to narcissism. But while narcissists are often extroverts, the opposite is true of those with Machiavellianism. They're usually introverts, and the defining characteristics generally show up in the person's innermost thoughts, which makes it incredibly difficult to identify. When Karen told Missy that her parents were divorced and remarried, she was trying to make Missy jealous. They'd been friends for less than a day, but already Karen felt inferior to Missy and tried to invert that dynamic. Telling a lie about having divorced parents was the best way she could think of to do this at the time. 
Another characteristic of the Machiavellian trait is the inability to create emotionally satisfying relationships. This bore itself out as the girls got older. Over the next few years, Karen likely began to see Missy less as a true friend and more as a way to get ahead. It was just a bonus that to Karen, she was an easy person to manipulate. In 1981, the girls started their ninth grade year at Bird Junior High School. By then, Karen had been deeply jealous of Missy for years, but school exacerbated things. Missy had better grades, teachers loved her, and she was getting prettier by the day, not to mention that she turned the head of every boy she passed. Karen hated that. First, she wanted boys to be looking at her instead, but she also wanted Missy all to herself. Karen certainly didn't want to share her best friend with boys who didn't give her the time of day. So under the guise of being protective, Karen chased the boys away, sometimes literally. She claimed she was just looking out for Missy, who she said was too good for them. And Missy believed Karen. She was happy to have someone looking out for her, being picky for her, and she trusted that Karen only ever did anything with her best interests at heart. But it was really just Karen's jealousy. A year into their new school, 14-year-old Karen realized that boys weren't the only threat to her friendship with Missy. Other girls were, too. Missy was so likable that girls flocked to her as well, and Karen wasn't having that. One day at school, Karen approached a group of girls who Missy had been spending time with. Lowering her voice, Karen announced that she'd heard a rumor that they had all slept with the same guy at a recent party. She even made a jab that they should get tested for STDs. When the girls pressed her to name her source, Karen told them, Missy. The girls were stunned, but they believed her. After all, Missy was Karen's only friend. Why would she make up a story like that? It had to be true. The next day, Missy opened her locker to find a nasty note inside. Missy went running to Karen. She was upset and didn't understand what she'd done wrong. Karen told her that the other girls must be jealous of her, but not to worry. Missy had Karen, and she didn't need anyone else. Missy agreed and said she was thankful for Karen's friendship. Karen couldn't help but smile. Another threat to her friendship with Missy was neutralized, and it only took a little emotional manipulation. And then life got even better for 14-year-old Karen. She met a boy who we'll refer to as Lewis. He was her first boyfriend, and Karen was smitten. Not only that, she was thrilled to finally get the same type of attention that Missy always got. But soon, Karen's perfect situation shattered. She was pregnant. When Karen told her parents, they were distraught, perhaps imagining a bleak future for their only daughter. Still, Karen insisted on having the baby, even at the age of 14. The pregnancy was hard on Karen's already fragile self-esteem. She could hardly stand to look at herself in the mirror, let alone go to school and be around her classmates. To make matters worse, Lewis broke up with her, leaving her heartbroken. Five months into the pregnancy, Karen dropped out of school. 
Missy was devastated for her friend. Although she knew that life would change when the baby arrived, she'd hoped that things would be relatively normal until then. She missed having Karen at school. But Missy wasn't the type of girl to remain friendless, so while Karen stayed at home for the last four months of her pregnancy, Missy spent her time with a girl named Laura Doyle. Laura was born on May 1, 1967. Also growing up in Arlita, her childhood was rougher than Karen's or Missy's. Her parents were alcoholics who constantly argued, so Laura learned at a young age to be quiet and stay out of their way. It was the same at school. Laura was withdrawn and a bit of a loner. She struggled to make friends for a while, but eventually she bonded with her classmates through drugs and alcohol. All the local teenagers, including Karen and Missy, gathered at a local park after school to smoke and drink. It was there that Laura got to know both girls, and when Karen went home, it was just Laura and Missy spending hours together at the park. Now, with Karen not around to keep them apart, Laura and Missy grew close, so close that Laura called Irene Avila mom. Like Karen, Laura much preferred Missy's family to her own, so she was constantly in and out of the Avila house, and also like Karen, Laura envied Missy and her family. Their lives were everything that Laura had ever wanted. And for her part, Missy enjoyed having Laura around, but she still considered Karen her best friend. She held out hope that things would calm down after the baby was born. The day finally came on January 31, 1983. 15-year-old Karen gave birth to a little girl. But Karen was immediately overwhelmed. She hadn't expected the baby to be so fussy or time-consuming. Every time it felt like too much, though, she left her daughter at home with her parents and ran to Missy's house for an escape. Most of the time, Missy was there waiting for her, ready to drop everything to hang out with Karen. But one day, something was different. Karen arrived at the Avila house only to find Missy in her bedroom with her new boyfriend, Randy Fernandez. Karen wasn't pleased. She demanded that Missy kick Randy out and spend time with her. When Missy explained that she was busy, Karen lost it. Missy sat frozen as Karen screamed that she was a terrible friend. It was like a switch had been flipped. She'd never seen Karen like this. It was perhaps Missy's first glimpse of her friend's true nature. Karen simply couldn't or wouldn't tolerate Missy giving attention to anyone else. And she was absolutely determined to get her way. Up next, Karen and Laura find new reasons to be jealous of Missy's popularity. Hi, everyone. When I'm not recording podcasts, I love listening to them. And for me, one of the best series out right now is the Spotify original from Parcast, 
Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer, men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers. Dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. Medical Murders highlights a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. When 15-year-old Karen Severson became pregnant, she dropped out of school to avoid social judgment. Meanwhile, her best friend, 15-year-old Missy Avila, began to spend more time with another classmate, Laura Doyle. Soon, both Karen and Laura had spent so much time at the Avila household that they were considered part of the family, even after Karen's jealous outburst aimed at Missy. The scene in Missy's bedroom had been intense, but Karen and Missy managed to patch things up. Karen blamed her outsized reaction on her stressful post-pregnancy life, and Missy was more than happy to move on. She even tried to convince Karen to come back to school for 10th grade, which was at Polytechnic High School, which Karen said she would do. It was time to get out of the house and back to her old life. But there was a catch. She wasn't going to Polytechnic High School, where she'd meet their old classmates from junior high. She decided to go to Mission High instead, an alternative continuation school where students completed the bare minimum requirements to graduate. Missy didn't understand why Karen wanted to go to Mission. It was seen as a school for dropouts or kids with behavioral issues. But Karen was too self-conscious to face her old peers. She was worried what people would say about her, the girl who dropped out because she was pregnant. She wanted a fresh start. So mission high it was, which meant Missy would be left behind at Polytechnic. And then Missy was dealt another blow. Her parents decided to separate. The announcement sent Missy into a spiral. She was angry at her parents, and she decided that if they were going to change everything, then so was she. Two weeks later, she announced that she was dropping out of Polytechnic and going to Mission High School. It was her way to rebel and to profess her loyalty to Karen, the one person who she thought was always there for her. So Karen and Missy enrolled at Mission High together. But their grades soon took a sharp decline. Both of them were far more interested in drinking, drugs, and boys than in their studies. And once again, Karen was getting jealous of Missy, who started dating their handsome classmate, Victor Amaya. As always, Missy got the attention that Karen craved, and it was effortless. 
motherhood had done nothing to curb Karen's desire for popularity or attention from boys. She was still 16 after all. She felt that she deserved a good boyfriend, and she resented the fact that Missy had no problem getting one, ever. Missy also didn't struggle to attain popularity at their new school, unlike Karen, who still had a hard time making other friends and once again felt left out. Despite her jealousy, she still wanted to be Missy's best and only friend. According to a 2005 study in the journal Developmental Psychology, young girls, more often than boys, feel that their relationships with friends should be exclusive. For example, girls in early adolescence are much more likely to have a best friend and to experience friendship jealousy. Jealous adolescents and adults are also more likely to ruminate about their close relationships. This can be problematic when they think the same negative thing over and over until it becomes distorted. These people may start to believe that their situation is much worse than it actually is. For Karen, she couldn't stop thinking about how unfair it was that Missy got everything she wanted. Why was it so easy for her, while Karen had to struggle to get any attention at all? Eventually, Karen's feelings of friendship began to fade. And when that happened, the jealousy stirred up by her constant obsessing made her want to act. It was time to do something. Karen had driven a wedge between Missy and other girls in the past and knew she could do it again. But now, it wasn't that she wanted Missy all to herself. In fact, she was starting to hate Missy, and she wanted everyone else to feel the same way. At some point that school year, Karen spread a nasty rumor that Missy was sleeping with another girl's boyfriend. It was the same tactic Karen had used before, but the girls at Mission High didn't play as nice. The girl in question didn't just respond with a nasty note. She and her friends jumped Missy, slapping her and calling her names. Before they ran off, the girl told Missy that she could thank Karen for her beating. Missy didn't understand. Karen knew she hadn't slept with the guy. She hadn't even talked to him before. When Missy brought it up, Karen told her that the other girls must just be jealous of her. And like always, Missy trusted Karen so much that she believed her. But really, Karen was projecting her own jealousy onto someone else. And Missy paid the price. Once again, Karen didn't feel too badly about what she'd done. It made her feel like she'd settled a score. And soon, she finally had what she wanted most, a boyfriend. She was thrilled. It was one thing to be friends with a popular girl, but having a boyfriend conferred a status that can't be overstated. There was only one catch. It was Randy Fernandez, Missy's ex. Missy swore to Karen that she was happy for the two of them, promising that she didn't have feelings for Randy anymore. The problem was, Randy still had feelings for Missy, and Karen knew it. But instead of being wary of her boyfriend's wandering eye, she directed her paranoia toward Missy. She didn't trust her friend around Randy, and her jealousy festered. To deal with it, Karen pushed Missy away. The girls hung out less and less, and as Karen retreated, 
Missy leaned on her other friend, Laura Doyle. The only problem was, Laura was also dating one of Missy's ex-beaus, Victor Amaya. Missy promised Laura that she was happy for them, too. She and Victor had hooked up a few times, but they were never officially an item. Probably to Missy's relief, Laura seemed to believe her more than Karen did, at least at first. By the time summer break rolled around in June 1985, Missy had a new boyfriend, too, who we'll call George. It seemed like even though there was some distance between the friends, everyone was at least happy. Only Karen and Laura weren't happy. They were still paranoid their boyfriends were more interested in Missy. Karen decided the best solution was to get out of their neighborhood, Arlita, so she and Randy rented an apartment one neighborhood over in Panorama City. Laura, on the other hand, was still in Arlita near Missy, and to her chagrin, Victor and Missy were still good friends. Laura noticed how her boyfriend looked at Missy and how Missy seemed to flirt back. The two were comfortable together in a way that Laura and Victor just weren't, and it made Laura incredibly self-conscious, jealous, and paranoid. Like Karen, she was convinced that Missy was out to steal her boyfriend, and her suspicions were only confirmed when she caught Victor calling Missy late at night to complain about Laura's possessiveness. But despite all the tension, Karen and Laura both pretended to be on good terms with Missy. They preferred to resent her behind her back instead of confronting her with their issues. This might have been because for all her perceived faults, Missy was still popular, and that was valuable to her friends. So to keep up appearances, one day in the summer of 1985, Karen invited Missy to her apartment in Panorama City, Although Missy was still a little unsure about where they stood, Karen was her best friend. Of course she would come see her new place. So Missy drove over, and Karen welcomed her into her home. Randy was there too, as well as Karen's young daughter. For a while, the four of them hung out, laughing and talking. But then the phone rang and Karen left the room to answer it. Once she was gone, Randy pulled Missy onto his lap. He confessed he still had feelings for her and asked if she felt the same. Before Missy had a chance to pull away, Karen came back into the room and saw what was happening. There was a moment of tense silence. All of Karen's worst fears had just been confirmed, and it was too much for her to bear. Karen lost it. She screamed at Missy, demanding that she leave the apartment right then and there. Missy tried to explain, but Karen wasn't having any of it and told her if she didn't leave immediately, she would get violent. Missy fled, utterly shocked at what had just happened. Then Karen spun around and slapped Randy across the face, hard. She told him that she was leaving with her daughter, and by the time she got back, he'd better be out of the apartment. She wanted him gone, forever. She could never trust him again. Karen took her daughter and stormed out. Then she got into her car and slammed the door. As she put her hands on the steering wheel, gripping it until her knuckles turned white, she swore she'd never let Missy take anything away from her again. 
no matter what. Up next, Karen's plans for revenge turn deadly. Now back to the story. In the summer of 1985, 17-year-old Karen Severson rented an apartment with her boyfriend, Randy Fernandez, who also happened to be Missy Avila's ex. But their relationship ended when Karen found 17-year-old Missy on Randy's lap. Meanwhile, 18-year-old Laura Doyle suspected her own boyfriend of having feelings for Missy, and though both of Missy's friends resented her, they seemed determined not to let her know that. A week after the incident with Randy, Karen called Missy and apologized, not because she valued their friendship, but because of a plan taking shape in Karen's head. She wasn't sure yet how she was going to do it, but Karen was determined to humiliate Missy. She wanted her friend to know what it felt like to be in her shoes. Missy may have been a little unsure of the abrupt change in attitude, but this wasn't the first time Karen had blown up at her, so she forgave her friend, understanding that she had a problem with jealousy. Soon after their reconciliation, the two went to their favorite spot in Colby Canyon, a hiking area in Angeles National Forest. They'd been there so many times before that Karen and Missy had actually carved their names into one of their favorite trees. It read, Karen and Missy, best friends forever. Karen pointed to the carving, telling Missy that it was still true. They were still best friends. It was a lie, but Missy didn't know that. She was ecstatic. She thought she had her best friend back, this time for good. A couple weeks later, the girls started their senior year, but soon after school began, the drama started right back up again. This time between Missy and Laura. Laura and her boyfriend, Victor, had been fighting about Missy all summer. Laura was sure he was still in love with the other girl, and Victor was so annoyed by Laura's constant paranoia that he broke up with her. Laura was devastated, and she blamed it all on Missy. At first, Missy gave the couple space, but about a week after the breakup, she went to Victor's house to check on him. After all, he was her friend too. He stood outside on his front porch with her and explained what really happened, that Laura thought he was still in love with Missy. Missy was upset. She didn't understand why her friends kept thinking she was going to steal their boyfriends. Victor hugged Missy, trying to comfort her. As he held her in his arms, he had to admit that Laura might have had a point. Maybe he really was still in love with Missy. He kissed her cheek, and she looked up at him surprised, just as he was about to lean in again. A car horn honked behind them, startling them both. Missy and Victor turned to see Laura parked on the street, staring daggers at them. Missy told Victor to go talk to her before Laura got the wrong idea, so Victor headed down to the street, bracing himself for his ex-girlfriend's wrath. When he got to the car, Laura demanded to know what Missy was doing there. Victor told her they were just talking, just friends, but Laura didn't buy that for a second. She glared at Missy, who was still standing on the porch, and then, so quiet that Victor barely heard her, Laura vowed to kill Missy, 
And then, before Victor could even say anything, Laura hit the gas and sped down the street. Victor stood back, shocked by the statement and glad that Missy hadn't heard it, but he never imagined that Laura might actually mean it. Missy was concerned about the state of her friendship with Laura, but soon enough, her worry was overshadowed by even bigger news. Karen was pregnant again with Randy's baby, but Karen didn't want to raise a child alone again. Her parents had already done enough helping her with her daughter. She wanted the father to be involved and supportive this time, and in her mind, Missy was a threat to that plan. Karen feared Randy would abandon her and their unborn baby to date Missy instead. She couldn't risk that happening. So Karen involved Missy's mother. She went over to the Avila's house and said that Irene needed to keep Missy away from Randy. Karen told her that Missy was sleeping with other people's boyfriends and it was getting her into trouble. Irene was shocked. She thought Karen and Missy were best friends, so she didn't understand how Karen could talk about Missy this way. But she decided to chalk it up to the pressure of new motherhood and to Karen's notorious jealous streak. Irene decided not to tell Missy about the encounter. It would only upset her daughter. Irene wasn't the only person 17-year-old Karen was talking to. At some point in September 1985, she and 18-year-old Laura began to commiserate. While both girls blamed Missy for ruining their relationships, Karen was the one who felt an immediate threat. Laura, on the other hand, was more of a follower. Without Karen's instigating, she might have just let her hatred stew. We don't know for sure how the conversation went, but Karen seems to have been the one steering things into more serious territory. And Laura was just happy to have someone who shared her pain. Eventually, they came to a decision that they were going to teach Missy a lesson. She wouldn't steal anyone's boyfriend after they were done with her. But before they could put their plan into action, Karen crossed paths with Missy at Strathern Park, another local hangout spot. By this point, Karen's paranoia was at an all-time high, and when she saw Missy, she couldn't hold it in. She was convinced that Missy was dating Randy again. So Karen stormed right over to Missy, shouting accusations at her former friend. Then, punctuating the moment, she slapped Missy across the cheek. Everyone around them stood in shock. Plenty of people had noticed that Karen was jealous of Missy, but none of them had realized it was so severe. But that was only the start of the violence. On October 1st, 1985, a few weeks after the park altercation, Karen and Laura put their real plan into action. Karen had two friends staying with her at the time, an old pal we'll call Marcus and his girlfriend, Eva Cherumbolo. While Marcus was at work on that Tuesday, Karen invited Eva to hang out with her. It's unclear why Karen asked Eva along at the last minute. Perhaps she thought having Eva there would give Missy a sense of security. After Karen's latest outburst, Missy might not be too thrilled to see her. 
What we do know is that Karen was an incredibly goal-oriented person, yet she often didn't think through the consequences of her actions. If she saw some vague purpose for bringing Eva along, she likely just acted on that impulse. As for Eva, she thought they were going over to Karen's grandmother's house for dinner. She had no idea what Karen actually had planned. Meanwhile, Laura was in charge of picking up 17-year-old Missy. As Missy left her house around 3 p.m., she told her mom that she and Laura were going to the park and that she'd be back by 8 that night. She promised to call if she was going to be late. Irene thought nothing of it. After all, Laura was like a second daughter to her. Together, Laura and Missy headed to the park. But when they got there, Karen and Eva were waiting. As if on cue, Karen and Laura got out of their cars and started yelling, pretending to be mad at one another. Missy wasn't sure what was going on, but soon Laura stormed back to the car and took off with Missy, still in the passenger seat. She sped away toward their mountain hangout of Camp Colby. Meanwhile, Karen followed close behind in her own car. She told Eva that it was all a trick and that they were just going to scare Missy. When they finally reached the parking lot off the main road, Karen and Laura got out of the cars and turned on Missy. They told her they were only pretending to be mad at each other. The real person they were angry with was her. Alone with them, Missy sensed that her friends were going to do something bad to her, like leave her up there on the mountain all by herself. She had no idea what they were actually planning. Laura and Karen led Missy up the dirt path, with Eva following in the rear. Missy was crying. She still didn't understand what was going on or what she had done to make her friends this angry with her. Soon, the four girls made it to the clearing by a stream where they usually hung out and partied. When they got there, Karen and Laura directed Missy toward a large rock on the edge of the stream. As she sat there, they called her names and screamed at her about sleeping with both of their boyfriends. Missy cried the whole time, wishing she could say something to make them believe she hadn't done any of those things. At one point, Laura grabbed Missy's hair and pulled her head back. Then Karen took a knife and cut off chunks of Missy's long brown hair. They wanted to humiliate her, just like they felt she'd done to them. According to research psychologists Walter Torres and Raymond Bergner, humiliation is often a primary motive for vengeance, especially for people who feel that they've been wronged, but don't see a way to even the scales without doing something drastic. Both Karen and Laura felt humiliated by Missy, who they believed was responsible for ruining their relationships. Torres and Bergner's research shows that humiliation, much like jealousy, can lead to all-consuming thoughts. Someone who's been humiliated often becomes obsessed with the situation and finding a way to rectify it. For Karen and Laura, cutting off Missy's hair was a way to reclaim their power over her. Her hair was a symbol of her beauty and popularity. Taking that away from her was retaliation. After they were done chopping off her hair, Laura stepped out into the stream, wading in so that the water was above her ankles. She ordered Missy to join her. Missy tried to refuse, but Karen pushed her off the rock and towards the stream. Hesitantly, Missy took a couple of steps, 
And then Laura lunged forward and grabbed her arm, pulling her in. The water was no more than eight inches deep, but it still felt dangerous. That's when Eva, who had been watching the whole ordeal from the shore, became frightened and ran back up the path. She had a sinking feeling in her stomach. Something was very, very wrong. When she got to the cars, they were both locked. Instead of waiting there, Eva hesitantly started back towards the stream, hoping to get the car keys. She hoped things had calmed down. Maybe they had just done what Karen said and given Missy a scare. But then, as she got closer, Eva heard one desperate, nightmarish scream. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two, where we'll discuss how Karen and Laura evaded any suspicion for Missy's murder for three whole years. For more information about Karen Severson and Laura Doyle, amongst the many sources we used, we found Missy's Murder, Passion, Betrayal, and Murder in Southern California by Karen Kingsbury, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Alex Burns, with writing assistance by Joel Callen, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson.